That sounded amazing. If you can't preach a good sermon after that singing, I don't know what's wrong with you. But it is amazing. Welcome to the desert. We apologize if you had a problem parking. But it was all the gymnastics people fault. But we're excited to have you here. It is awesome to be together twice a year and just even more special for us to have you guys out here. Uh, it's a, a great celebration after last week with special missions that we gave over $300,000, amen, to help the missions in the Middle East and here in the Inland Empire. I know it's still continuing to come in, but just thank you for your sacrifice, for your faith. I know we all got to see the, the thank you video from Mofit and Jesse, but we just have a little glimpse of what that goes to do. So thank you so much. Today the title is As For Me, and we're going to see an amazing time in Israel's history where Joshua ends his life. Maybe he has a week left, maybe a month, but less than a year to live. And we're going to see what happens. But he realizes and he gives a a speech called, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You might have heard of it. But it's one thing when you're all together, and it's another thing when you're by yourself. And the reason that God's church is powerful is not because we're all together, because the power comes from God within each one of us, that when we come together, it is powerful. That if we're weak on our own, we come together and we're weaker. But we're strong on our own, we come together, we're stronger. You know, never did we experience this like we have in the past year, sending Chloe off to school. In Philadelphia, we're happy to have her with us today. But it was at that moment when you realize, you know what, if she's going to spend time with God, it's going to be on her. If she wants to go to church, guess who's going to figure that one out? Her. She's going to figure out rides. She's going to figure out how to get there and everything else. Who she's going to date, guess who that's on? That's on her. Her relationships and everything about it is out of my control and into hers. And I believe that's where God wants our faith to begin. It's not from other people from outside of us. It's from within us. And that's what makes it faith at all. So as we start today, we're going to be talking about not not just our faith, but we're going to be talking about my faith, and we're going to be talking about your faith. Let's, let's go to God in prayer as we start. Father, we thank you for this time to be together, and we thank you for this moment to think about our faith in you. God, I pray that we can follow you all the days of our life like we're going to read about Joshua here. God, I pray that we don't live our lives for other people, that we don't live our lives just because we know it's the right thing, but we live our lives because in our soul we're in love and madly in love with you. God, be with Jake and I as we preach this sermon together. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, it is a combo, so Jake and I are comboing here. So that's your official welcome to the desert times two. Turn over to Joshua 24. So Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. 
He summoned the elders, leaders and judges and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to, to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there and brought you out. When I brought, when I brought your people out of, of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried out to the Lord for help. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you and took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again. And I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came into Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hiv. Hivites and Jebusites. Man, that's a mouthful. But I gave them all into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which you drove, which drove them out before you, and also to Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. My point number one is remember who got us here. Joshua is going through and he was reminding the people, and even now we can think about all the Heroes of faith that have gone before us. All the different lands that we've gone into and all the different famous preachers and people that reached out to us even personally. That God put them in our life at just the right time. And here he's reminding the Israelites that it, it's not about you. It's about God. 21 times in 12 verses, he said, God did this, and God did that, and God did this, and it wasn't about you. Remember when you fought, it wasn't because of your sword or your bow. As Jesus summarized later in John 4, he said, I've done the hard work. I've sent you to do the easy work. The harvest was all about God. This is the time in Israel's history when Everything is all coming together like it never had before. They stand by the tree of Shechem, which is where Abraham got the promise 500 years earlier that you will have many descendants, as many as the stars in the sky. And 500 years later, they come back to the same tree. 
The same tree where Joseph buried his idols that he worshipped before he worshipped God. The same tree when just a little later after this sermon he was going to bury the bones of Joseph who was taken into Egypt, who went into Egypt first and gave those instructions. So it was kind of the, the completion of God's mission to enter the promised land, to conquer the promised land, to arrive in the promised land. And Joshua is reminding them that it wasn't you that got us here. It wasn't by your sword or bow. I gave you cities and towns you did not build. That this was about me and not about you. It's good for us to remember how we've gotten to this place. And it wasn't about our church and it was, and it didn't start in 1979, in case you were wondering. It started on Calvary and people passed it down time after time until finally someone came to you and came to me. And he's reminding them, remember the, remember the burning bush? That was me after you wandered for 40 years. And you were a nobody. And I made you a somebody. Abraham, after his promise, when he's about ready to kill Isaac, God provides a ram. He says, you know what? That was me. That wasn't you. I provided. And the same place, many people believe that he provided the lamb is where the temple was built thousands of years later by Solomon. What an amazing God we serve. This is the ancient walls of Jericho. And he's reminding, remember, we just did this. This was a new victory. We walked right in, and there's actually two walls of Jericho. And the city's up on a hill, so when you're walking around it, you can't even see the city. It's like 50 feet over your head. And so you're walking around, you don't know what God is doing, and he opens the city walls for you to come right in. You know, I appreciate all of our history. And many of the people that were there are just coming out of a really hard time. They wandered in the desert for 40 years watching their parents die. And they're coming in and they see these miracles and he's reminding them, this is all coming together because of God. We need to take some time, even as a church, to be grateful for what God has done in our lives. Be grateful for God bringing us here. Be grateful for God sending churches all over the world. That wasn't about us. That was about God. Sometimes we think it's about us. If I wasn't here, God would send someone else to preach this sermon today. And it would maybe be better. But God wants us to remember him. As for me and my household, I'll remember the Lord. Point number two, finish with faith. Finish with faith. God never did the same miracle twice as they were conquering. 
He did one miracle here. He did another miracle over there. Joshua is saying, I don't know about what you're going to do, but I'm going to finish with faith. Me and my household, we're going to finish. You know, we have many heroes of faith that have already finished the race. We got to hear about Renee today. And as tragic as that is, he's a hero to me. Because it's easy to start the race, but he already finished the race. It's not guaranteed for us until you get to the end. So he's my hero. I want to go see him there too. We'll go see him together. But for us to decide, and that was the challenge that Jake is going to expound upon more later, but I will finish with faith. I won't get sidetracked. And he reminds him in the beginning, in verse 2 and 3, he says that Abraham was born and his parents had other gods. That you started out, when you first started, you started with idols. And if it wasn't for me, you would still have them. And yet, even at this time, there were people in Israel that had idols with them. At this big moment, they were there and they had idols in their possession. As for me and my house, and in there they're going, well, I don't know. Me and my house, we're kind of divided. You know, I'm here today, if you haven't noticed, I'm the oldest one on stage so far. In case you're paying attention. I didn't think 48 was old, but today it is. Old is always 20 years older than you are anyway. That's what I think. But I want to talk to the 40-somethings and above. The Gen Xers. We're a generation that knows that life is not fair. We're kind of cynical. The baby boomers got all the glory. (laughs) And now all their kids are taking it again. And they're skipping us. You laugh, but if you're 40-something, you're not laughing. We're the ones that were under 20 when they crossed the Jordan, when they came out of Egypt. We remember those days, and some of us here were a part of them, and some of them, us, were on the front lines. See the Hammonds over here and Steve and others. But if you were like me, you were kind of a part of it, but you weren't the man. You were just watching And you saw churches sent all over the world, and you were a part of it. And it was amazing, wasn't it? I remember the first time I feel like, wow, God is actually reaching the world. That blew my mind. That's when I signed up to be a minister. In that moment, I remember the moment I'm there, you know what? Why wouldn't I do this? But then we saw a lot of people die, spiritually. And they wandered, 
And they ran and they walked and they fell. And we saw our generation. And now we're left with the question, what next? What is God going to do now? Are we going to go back? Is it going to happen again? Is it going to be the same way? We already saw God doesn't do the same thing twice. But he's going to do something if we have faith. Do you believe that the best years are your years in front of you, not the years behind you? I don't know about you. My best years are ahead of me. Because that's when I'm going to enter the gates. I haven't made it to heaven yet, so I know that my best years are ahead of me. When I enter the gates, that's my best years. That's my challenge to you older people as we're classified today. Like Robert the Bruce, I don't want to compromise. I want to believe. I don't want to give up. I don't want to go back. I don't want to let all the young people be radical and me slow them down. Because that's what's happening. They're believing and we're holding them back. By our cynicism, by our attitudes. By our spirit that, oh, I've seen that before. Do you remember when you were 20 years old and somebody said, I've seen that before? In my mind, I go, I don't care. That was a long time ago. I'm not impressed. I'm not inspired by your war stories. It's time to go forward, not look back. What does God want from me, and what does he want from you? That's when I'm alive. When I feel like God is saying, what are you going to do? This is what I have for you to do. That's when I feel alive. I don't want to watch people. I want to be involved, don't you? That's why we became disciples. The question isn't, what does God want to do? The question is, am I willing to do it? I know what God wants to do, but it's another thing to actually do it. That's what stepping out on faith is all about. I want to share my faith and impact people's lives. But will I do it? There was a brother the other day in our small group. He said, oh, you know what? I've never really gone out sharing my faith, cold contact. I said, that's great. Let's set up a group and we'll all go out and do it. In my mind, I'm wondering, will you show up if you have the chance? Because it's not about just wanting to do it. It's about actually doing it. I want to take care of my brother in need. We've had people, we have people in our congregation that have been struggling for years. Well, I really hope they get better. Well, will you do something about it? You know who they are. Will you invest the six months or year that it'll take to get with them every week to help them? It's going to be inspiring, but it's going to take that kind of faith. How about lead a family group? 
It got quiet on that. (laughs) I got a question for you. If you lead people at work, why don't you lead people in the church? I know why. Because you don't have the faith. Because you don't have the faith to do it. Because God can use anybody that wants to. That if you lead people at work, he can use you. And maybe it's not lead a family group, but he wants all of us to be used. To use our gift. i got to have Jake come up here now. <laughs> Let's finish with faith, guys. Amen. You saw those hands. Well, guys, I'm, I am fired up to be together like this. Uh, definitely fired up to have you guys in the desert. It's been like four years or five years or something like that since we've had a church service like this in the desert. But it's also, it's very special to me, too, because I think, I think Kelsey and I might be some of the only ones that have actually been a part of all three churches in our region. So there's a lot of love in this room coming from the Rock family. So I'm grateful to be able to be here and to preach to you guys. And I'm so grateful for the things that Scott already shared in this passage. This is a powerful sermon. It's a powerful sermon. It's always something to pay attention to in the Bible. Uh, whenever a, a, a hero of the faith is getting ready to pass on. Because they're always in reflection. They're always thinking about, okay, if I'm going to leave God's people with some final thoughts and words, what's really important? And Joshua is, you know, just as, as we go, went through, he was recalling and recounting all the things that had happened in the past, and even the recent victories, to get them where they are. But now he's transitioning in this sermon to get them to think about what's in front of them. Point number three. Oh, this is the stuff he didn't get to get to. Point number three is claim your inheritance. I want to look at verse 13 here together. It reads here, So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Let's stop there for a moment. I've only got three three verses I'm going to cover on my end of this sermon here, but we're going to dive pretty deep. And what, what God is, is trying to get across here, what Joshua is trying to remind the people, he says that they're they going to be inheriting a land that they didn't really have to put in the work for. Even as Scott recalled, you know, God did the hard stuff. God took care of the difficult things. The cities that they were getting even, the things that they were going to be actually inheriting, were built by somebody else. Imagine that. Imagine going to buy a home and it's already pre-furnished. It's got livestock. It's just all set for you. Married people, doesn't that fire you up? That, I mean, that, that's a dream. The, the farms were already plowed by somebody else. I mean, come on now. All they were doing was just taking it over. And even, and even deeper than that, at a historical level, the audience that he's talking to here, 
He was talking to a generation that almost none of them experienced the slavery in Egypt. A majority of them only dealt with a very small portion of wandering through the desert. So why did God need to say this? Why did God need to address them like this? It's because it's hard to be grateful and humble about the things that you're already getting to experience. Outside of the loss that the Israelites suffered in Ai, they didn't really lose in the conquest of the promised land. Some scholars believe it was about seven years that they had fought for it. From the time they actually crossed the Jordan and went in till this point here. And they had gotten used to God sending hornets, hailstones, walls falling down because of trumpets, and not battle strategies. And now they were going to be moving into houses that they didn't have to put the labor in to build. We don't tend to be grateful for things that become normal in our lives. What we're even experiencing in this room has become normal. I want you to think, how often do you think about the vital organs in your body? Just, you know, your, your brain, your heart, your lungs, the stuff that, like, keeps you alive. How often do you think about those things? My, my guess, and I'm probably right in this, is saying not very much. I want to show you some things. In one minute, a few things have happened in your body. In one minute, your eye has blinked 15 to 20 times and interpreted over 6 million bits of information. In one minute, the hair on your head collectively, and what that means is not each individual hair, but all the hairs on your head together have grown 1.1 inches. A little bit less for some of you in the room. you took 12 to 20 different breaths and your lungs have processed and taken in 11 milliliters of oxygen. In one minute, your heart has beat 600 to 100, or 60 to 100 times and has pumped 1.5 gallons of blood. In one minute, your skin, this is a good one, has shed 30,000 to 50,000 skin cells on the person next to you. So that's just a few of the things that your body was doing without your control, without your knowledge. Since I started this conversation, those things happened. Okay, We started this sermon about 25 some odd minutes ago. Multiply everything you've just experienced by 25. That's how much has been going on in your body without your knowledge. You know when you do think about these organs? When something's wrong. And most of the time when we realize it, it tends to be a little bit too late. And the damage has been done. You know, I have never really thought and considered my kidneys until Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. When I awoke from my slumber, staring at my ceiling, 
with a back pain that was new and unfamiliar. And I laid there thinking, this is different. That's not muscle pain. Why do I feel like I need to have a baby? (laughs) And two hours later, I was in a hospital bed, screaming in agony, puking my guts out in pain, something else that was fun and never experienced before, passing a kidney stone that was two millimeters. Our sister, Chantel Mendoza, has been working for a urologist for a while, and when she found out about it, she's like, that's nothing. That's easy. But I had never experienced a pain like that in my life. And it was pure agony. I was shouting at nurses. I was screaming. I was writhing on the bed like I was delivering a baby. And when it finally came out, I was like, I can't How? What? How did that just take me down? But you know what? Since then, I've been very mindful of my kidneys. I'm very mindful of how much caffeine I've had this week. Whether or not my water is filtered. I'm not drinking really any soda right now. Because I'm not quick to rush back into that. Where does this connect with us on a spiritual level? Was Scott already kind of got us there. We're all a product of grace. Everything that you are experiencing here right now is not because you've earned it, but because of God's favor. But to take it even a step further, we're also here because of the favor that God showed to somebody else first. If you're a kingdom kid, it's something that God showed to your parents and to the people that reached out to them. If you're here, it's the person that reached out to them and the person before them. And I want to do something here real quick. If you've been a disciple Specifically here in the Inland Empire for more than 20 years. I want to ask you to stand up. Okay, is there anybody? No, stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Don't sit down yet. Is there anybody here that's been a part of the original cruise, the mission team still? Chris, the last one. I know Molly Mostert was here forever until she moved. Um, All right, if you've been a disciple for 20 years or more in general, stand up. To everybody else in this room, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. What we are experiencing in our church today, what we get to see in God's kingdom currently, is due in part because of the faith, the work, the love and the battles that these men and women have fought. Yeah, that deserves an applause. You and I are inheriting a kingdom that God made possible through them. And I want to take a second to talk to the younger Christians, but also, more specifically, the younger generations for a moment. I want to talk to the millennials and younger. Scott talked to his generation, I'm talking to mine. These older disciples deserve and demand your respect. They deserve for us to learn from their faith in their lives. It's really easy to be critical of the generation before you. 
in all of history, from ages 14 to 25, and that's everybody that was ever at that stage of life knows, you look at the generation before you and go, man, I would not have done that. (laughs) They're so stupid, I can't believe they didn't figure this out yet. But you know what? You weren't here to plant this church. They fought battles that you have never fought. And more than likely will never have to fight. You didn't deal with the criticism and persecution of the 90s. You don't know what it's like to try to parent a child to just be a functioning human, let alone a spiritual one. It would be tragic to take these older disciples for granted. I want to think about it. I took time to even think about what are some of the things that I've learned from the disciples that have gone before me. From Chris and Peggy Ventura. About how to be faithful and close to God and joyful. Chris never has a frown on his face. When your health and your life are in less than ideal circumstances. From Daryl and Stephanie Nakata. How to wait faithfully for God to open doors in your life and to not necessarily take the first and the easiest way out. When he was at a stage when he had no job and he was offered a job that would take him away from the church, he didn't take it. Conversations I've had with Justin Sharp. Stories about being a missionary in Utah and sharing your faith in an environment that is less than ideal. From the Garcias and how to fight for people. The people that fought for them to become disciples. If you never heard Rick's story of them, of the, the campus people that showed up to help them do a job so that they would go to church, it'll blow your mind. But also how they fight for others. And all the years of wisdom from leading the Rialto World Sector. From Bill and Kelly Vollmer. Bill's a younger Christian, but you know what? I've learned a lot from Bill. About being resilient. Being joyful and not letting life hit you so hard. From Kelly about raising faithful children. And how to have wisdom in dealing with challenging situations. And this is just a small sample of what we have in this room. There is so much faith and wisdom and experience to learn from in this church. For the next generation of leaders and disciples that are here, I believe God will oppose us. And allow us to get stuck by taking the past generations for granted. And I think we can do it in one of two ways. Like Scott brought up, we can get critical. And carry around a spirit of thinking, you know better. That's not how I'd raise my kids. Or sitting back and reaping the benefits of their battles. Or refusing to pick up a sword of your own. To make it more relevant for those that aren't getting it. You can be a YouTube commenter, which if anybody has scrolled down to the bottom of a YouTube video, YouTube commenters are good at being critical from a distance. Or being that kid that won't move out of mom and dad's house and take ownership, but want mom and dad to pay for everything. Don't be that guy in this church. Back to everybody else. Verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt 
and serve the Lord. You know, if you've been a soldier, it might have been a little bit hard to even swallow some of this. He's saying, okay, now fear the Lord and serve him. You might even be thinking, man, what have I been doing for the last seven years? But you know what this is really saying? What Joshua, I think, is really trying to get them ready for is that they were, they were entering into a new state as a people and in their relationship with God. And this wasn't negating the battles of the past or, the, or even the recent victories. The battles and victories that they fought were to get them to where they were, to a new state with their relationship with God. The real inheritance was not the promised land. The real inheritance was being a people of God. God's end game was never meant to be the promised land. It was never the houses. It was never the greenery. It was never the flocks. It was never to settle down. God's end game was us being people that commune with him. God was giving them rest from wandering in battle to be in connection with him. And this was the real battle. This was the lifelong battle, the battle that really matters. God's goal is not a church building. I know Rancho is getting to experience that right now. But God's goal isn't for us to settle. You know, if Riverside and Desert never get a building of our own, who cares? You know what? It may not even be what's best for us anyways. Because that's not what God wants. God doesn't want us to settle. He doesn't care about the comfy chairs. He cares about the people that are showing up. He cares about the relationship that we experience with him every day. And he says here, he says, you know, start by throwing away the gods your fathers worshipped. The generational idols and the generational sin that Israel carried with them to the promised land. And God was trying to get them to start fresh by addressing all that was getting in the way. And for us, you know, this could be years of sin that's been haunting you. Maybe even you've refused to deal with. Or maybe you just felt hopeless about. Maybe it's trauma from your past or mental health issues. The goal really at the end of the day is, you know, stop hanging on to the things that have been haunting you, and serve God. And I want to even just say something here. If you're wrestling with shame or anxiety in your life, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you something that you need to hear. It's because you're serving a false God. There's something in your life that you're serving that's not God. Then Joshua ups the ante and takes it a step further in verse 15. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. He says, choose for yourself. Choose who you are going to serve. Don't just sit there. You've got to make a decision. And if you're not making a decision, you made a decision. But he says, you know what? Choose who you serve because you've got options. You can choose to serve God. You can choose to serve in his kingdom, which is better than anything else that's out there. But if you're looking for false gods, there's a lot out there to serve and bow to. 
You can serve your career. Choose who you will serve. Are you going to serve your passions? Your social media presence? Are you going to serve pleasing people? Are you going to serve friendships? Romantic relationships? Are you going to serve your education? Are you going to serve fun? Are you going to serve your bank account? Or your children's extracurricular activities? Are you going to serve your past hurts and letdowns? Or are you just going to serve the God of the American dream of comfortability? You know, the truth is, I'm in a battle right now with this. There's some false gods I'm having to contend with at the moment. There's been a lot of chaos in, in my family in the last couple months, as many of you know. But in the middle of all that, you know, we found out something pretty awesome. That's my third kid right there. We don't know what it is, so I'm just calling it Trace for now. But you know what? Ever since we found out we were having a third kid, it is, it's been kind of funny what has been going on in my heart. I feel less prepared to have this kid than I ever did with my other two. I have been anxious. Man, I'm thinking about, man, do we need to think about a bigger house? I mean, you know, our, our van, maybe we gotta get, maybe we gotta get a, a van with some better bells and whistles in it. You know, the college education funds and, I've been stressing about way more with this kid than I ever was with my other two. Thank God I have a faithful wife, because she's just fired up. But you know what I realized? That I'm tempted. I want to serve the God of the American dream. I want to serve my comfortability. I want things to be ideal. I want my money to be enough. I want to have enough space. What a shame it would be if I end up serving this God and miss out on the bigger picture of what the real God is trying to do in my life. What a shame it would be if we build our own homes but not the house of the Lord. What a shame it would be if we serve the God of fun and not saving the lost. What a shame it would be if we get to go on a lot of great vacations, but our kids never become disciples. Joshua concludes his sermon, and we're wrapping up here. The part that we all know very well. But as for me, in my household, we will serve the Lord. The victories of the past and the things that God have done recently, they're not the end of the story. God's not finished with us. God is going to remember all that. He's going to remember everything that happened way back when, or even more recently. And you know what? In all three churches, we've seen some pretty incredible victories in the last several years. We've got brothers and sisters serving around the world right now that have come from right here in the Inland Empire. God's going to remember all that. But he wants us to consider who we're going to be now. How many times have we heard a sermon like this and gone back to doing whatever we've been doing? I want to ask us, church, I want to ask us to let this room be our Shechem. Scott didn't get into it, but 
The significance of this whole speech taking place at Shechem was not lost. 500 years before this, God sent, God was talking to Abraham at that very location to make a promise that they were going to be experiencing 500 years later. You might not have known it. You might have thought you were in the desert, but really you're in the promised land. Let this room be the Shechem for the Inland Empire Church of Christ. And let us all have to, and we all have to answer how we finish this statement. As for me. There's no Greek or Hebrew. Desert knows I'm really good at that. This is just simple. How do you finish that statement about yourself, your life, and your relationship with God? As for me, I'm hanging up my sword. Putting away my faith as relics of the past because my best days are behind me. As for me, I'm going to enjoy the fruits of the kingdom without fighting for it or adding to it. Or as for me, I will walk closely with my God. As for me, I will pray for God to use me and my family maybe again or maybe for the first time. As for me... I will build his kingdom and share it with others. Ultimately, the prayer is for all of us in here. For us to be in a place that collectively, together, we can say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. I love you guys.